As you're returning to your seat, uh, if you've got a Bible with you or want to use one of our pew red Bibles, would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 21? Um, I'm gonna. There's a there's a prolonged intro, uh, so just put your finger in there, but then listen. Uh, so last Sunday at our congregational meeting, we kicked off. Uh, what is, you know, our hope is to be a new mission for the year ahead in 2023. Uh, we want to we mature at Story Church. We want to mature as disciples of Jesus, and we want to make new disciples of Jesus. That's our two missions. We want to mature as disciples of Jesus, and we want to make new disciples of Jesus. And I think that if we commit ourselves to this mission, um, some truly amazing things are going to happen. I think that if each one of us at Story Church commits ourselves to this mission, to mature and to make new disciples of Jesus, then I think we will see every man, woman, and child that calls Story Church home flourish as we together courageously follow Jesus. Um, I, I think that some wonderful things are on the horizon for us. And to help us walk through this mission together... Uh, I've put together this uh, booklet. Some of you picked it up last week. We've got more on the seats behind you. Um, this six-week booklet is a devotional and workbook that we're going to do this together week by week, section by section for six weeks. Each section is going to take us about 20 or 30 minutes. This is for you to do Monday through Saturday. Um, and then we're going to come back on Sunday, and I'm going to be doing this sermon series through it, through our mission. But 20 or 30 minutes, once a week, um, sit down, read through it, answer the reflection questions, the application questions. Um, I'm, I'm confident that each of us can find 30 minutes in the margins of our life. Husbands and wives work together to figure out a time to make this work. I'm inviting you also to invite someone that you trust. Maybe it is your spouse, maybe it's a friend, uh, to come along the journey with you. Share with them your responses to those questions. Ask them to hold you uh, to some of the commitments that you make as we do this together. Look, there's no um, guarantee of success here. I'm not presuming that if we fill out this workbook, if we do the things that we want to do, that we're going to automatically have the effect that we want to see. Uh, Jesus teaches us a parable about a farmer who sows seed on the ground. He, he's a farmer, and so he's tended the soil, and he's sown the seed, but then he goes to bed, and overnight, the seeds grow, and he didn't do that. He doesn't even know how it works. He just knows that it does work. And so what I'm suggesting is that we do what we're called to do, which is to be faithful to the Lord. And we trust that as we're faithful to the Lord, that the Lord will be faithful to us. And we don't know what that will look like, but we trust that he can do something in us and through us. I'm convinced that if we commit to this mission together, if we earnestly strive through the power of the Spirit to mature as disciples of Jesus, 
And as we endeavor to make new disciples of Jesus, that the Lord will bless us individually, as families, and as a church. At the meeting last week, I shared how our January 2023 numbers, you know, just to take one metric, our January 2023 numbers uh, compared to last year's January numbers. And they were, we've seen so much growth as a church in that year. And for those of you who were with us in January of 2021, I think right now there's maybe two, three families in here that were with us then. You know that the Lord has done amazing things in two years. And for those who were with us in January of 2020, there's one other family in this room that were with us then. And God has done amazing things in three years. So I am confident that the Lord is going to continue to bless us individually. We're going to grow in our faith. Collectively, as families, we're going to grow in our worship of the Lord. And as a church, we are going to grow in our fellowship and our maturity as disciples of Jesus. I'm convinced that Jesus is not done with us. There is plenty more blessings for us to experience together. This packet is just one way, I think a helpful way, to guide us along that path. Along with this devotional, I said I'm going to be preaching six sermons that are complementary to what we're going to be talking about in the packet. And really, they're just highlighting six major themes that I think are going to characterize this new mission that we're called to. So that's what we're looking at today. Week one, we're asking you to take a step into the life of the church. So pick up your packet on your way out. Find some time this week. Read the devotional. Reflect on the scriptures. And then there's some important application questions. I'm excited for where the Lord's going to take us. Today, we're talking uh, kind of big picture. Why are we even doing this? Like, why do we even talk about the mission of the church? Often when we talk about mission or missions, we tend to think of like a cross-cultural journey where someone takes the gospel and goes across culture, whether it's around the world or across town, uh, to bring the gospel. People are sent. And certainly the Bible includes stories of God's people being sent for various purposes, including sharing the gospel. Paul was commissioned as a church planter to go and plant churches. But we also see God's people all over Scripture being sent for a variety of purposes, the apostles were sent out to preach the kingdom of God. Many disciples in the book of Acts were sent to collect money to help fund the church in Jerusalem who were going through some terrible crises. Um, we see people in the Old Testament sent to bring comfort and healing to others. So the scriptures are filled with stories of people being sent. We need to take a step back then and ask, what is the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? It's a good question, but I don't think it's the right question because I don't think that the Bible gives us a, a, a specific mission for the church. I think there's a different question we need to ask. We need to ask instead, what is 
the mission of God. What is the mission of God? Because I think if we study that, if you look at the Bibles and ask, what is the mission of God, what we'll find is that God does not have a mission for the church. God has a church for his mission. And so if we're going to talk about what we are called to do as the church, the first and primary question is to ask, what is the mission of God? And so this morning, we're going to talk about that. And I've got my three points on the bulletin. You'll see point one, we need to ask, what is God doing in the world? Second, we have to ask, what then is God doing in the church? And third, bringing it home, what does that mean for us as Story Church? What is God doing in the world? What is God doing in the church? And what does that mean for Story Church? We're going to read Revelation chapter 21, uh, but we're going to be all over the Bible. This is just a picture um, that we're going to get to. Um, So we'll read and we'll pray. And then we're going to answer those questions. So do you follow along as I read Revelation chapter 21, the first seven verses? This is the end of the story. The apostle John has been given this glimpse into the heavens. And he says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this glimpse at the end of the story. May we be captivated by that vision and propelled out as your church in light of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is God doing in the world? To put it concisely, God is redeeming and restoring a fallen creation. What is God doing in the world? He is redeeming and restoring a fallen creation. 
That is the story of the world. That is the story that we read about in Scripture. That is the story that blankets everything in creation. It's a single story. And as we open up Scriptures and read the variety of stories that are in there, this remains a common thread. Have you ever worn a sweater and then nicked it on something sharp and a little thread pops out and then you try naively to like rip it so that it doesn't snag anymore, but then you end up accidentally pulling the thread and it keeps coming out and then sooner or later you have no sweater? Maybe it hasn't gotten that bad for you. Friends, there is a single thread that runs through the entirety of Scripture. From the various authors and genres to the various locations and characters, there is a single thread that weaves through Scripture. It is of a God who is redeeming and restoring a fallen creation. Hold on one second, man. That's what we see, a four-act story. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And I'm going to try real quick to go through that story for you. It begins right at the beginning of the story. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world and everything in it, the heavens and the earth. And in that creation, God creates mankind, made in his image, made in perfect relationship with him, and made with a charge to be God's people, to listen to him and obey him, and to multiply amongst the earth and fill it with the glory of God. They are given the charge to work the ground and to cultivate and keep the garden. In other words, they are to be people that multiply and spread and then create culture and life. God's initial design for creation is this beautiful picture of a loving relationship between God and his people and the people and the world. That they are to go into all of the world and be creative, be artists, be architects, to fill the world with culture and beauty. That was God's initial design. But soon we come to chapter three. I mean, as soon as the story begins, the story takes a sharp left turn. And in chapter three, we read in our confession of sin that sin comes into the world. And it breaks and fractures mankind and all of the world with it. That mankind now has this personal enmity against God, our creator. And we have fractured relationships with one another. We know that we're sinful. We try to hide our sinfulness from one another. We, we blame one another for what's wrong in the world. We run and hide from God. And from chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way to 11, we see that sin is multiplying on the earth. It's spreading from generations to generations. 
We see murder and hate. We see abuse. We see sin multiplying amongst the earth. We come to the end of chapter 11, and we're wondering, is God's plan for creation abandoned? No. Because as we turn to Genesis 12, we turn the chapter from fall to redemption. That God begins this plan of redemption to bring healing to the world. And so he calls out from the world Abraham. He calls a people to himself, Abraham and his descendants. And he says to them, I am going to bless you so that through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. I am going to fix what's wrong with the world through you and your people. It's unclear how or when he's going to do that. But that is the thrust of the promise. Abraham, I am covenanting to you and your children to bless you so that through you, the nations will be blessed. And the story continues of redemption where Abraham's descendants are enslaved into Egypt and we see God showing a picture of what that ultimate redemption will look like as he releases his people out of bondage. He brings them to a promised land of paradise. It's a picture of a return to Eden, a way, the way that it used to be. And along the way, God not only releases them out of bondage, he gives to his redeemed people the law so that they would be governed and instructed of how to live as God's redeemed people. He gives them instructions on how to live as God's redeemed people, that they would be a shining light in the midst of the nations, that the nations would see God's people and want to come and know God. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. That's, That's not the first time God has said that. He says to Israel, you are to be a light in the nations. And the story continues. God raises up judges and then kings so that they would lead the people in transformed lives. That they were to be a nation before a watching world that the nations, as they would pass through the land of Israel, that they would be drawn to the God of Israel. But we know that the story doesn't end there. The prophets declare what God has said, that Israel has failed to do what they were called to do. Sin is just too powerful for man on his own to overcome its effects. Israel herself needs a savior. God's people are no different than the nations. That's where the Old Testament ends. And we wonder, is God's plan of redemption abandoned? No, because then Jesus comes on to the story who is the embodiment of Israel. He himself is God's son, and he fulfills that call to Israel. He lives a perfectly righteous and transformed life in the power of the Spirit. He suffers for the sins of Israel so that Israel is clean. 
And now, through faith in Jesus, anyone, Jew or Gentile, can be united to Jesus, who is the true Israel, and receive the blessings promised to Abraham. That is, through Jesus, the blessing is now going forth to the nations, the exact thing that was spoken of to Abraham. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, God has accomplished redemption for his people. And finally, we get to restoration. We read in Revelation 21, we see that the first creation, the first heavens and earth, who have been cursed with sin, that has passed away and is being remade. There is a new heavens and a new earth. And that new creation is populated by the bride of Christ. That is God's people from all time, the ones who have been united to Jesus. He calls them the new Jerusalem, the redeemed of the Lord, the church. And finally, we hear the good news that God will indeed dwell with his people again, just like they did in the beginning, just like in the Garden of Eden. And in this restored creation, there is no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears. All of those things have passed away. Friends, that is where the story is going. All things made new. I love the line in The Lord of the Rings, when all hope seems lost and everyone fears that death is imminent. And in fact, they think that death has come. And yet, there is hope. They didn't die. And one of the hobbits turns to Gandalf and asks, Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue now? Friends, the answer is yes. That's where the story leads us. Everything sad is going to come untrue. There is tremendous hope in this story. There is hope for the world. There is hope for those who suffer, hope for the nations. There is hope for political conflict. There is hope for marriages that are hurting. There is hope for children who are growing up into a difficult world. There is hope for sickness and disease. There is hope for personal sin. God's mission is nothing less than the complete redemption and restoration of creation through his Son, Jesus, this has to change the way that we interact with ourselves, the world around us, and particularly with non-Christians. I think too often non-Christians hear that Christianity is about rules and conformity, that it's about rituals and religion. Friends, this story is about hope. It's good news. That's what we have to offer to people. I I hope that this story changes the way that we go about our lives, the way that we interpret and hear news. You ever turn on the radio or listen to the news and you get so depressed? Friends, the story of God should give us hope, complete optimism that one day everything sad is going to come untrue. This should change the way that Christians deal with crises in our lives that we might think that it's so dark, and I can't imagine a way out of this. But friends, the story of redemption and restoration should give us hope. 
We ought to be people of hope. Because that is what God is doing in the world. He is redeeming and restoring his fallen creation. What then is he doing in the church? It is through the church. It is through the people of God who are now united to Jesus through faith. It is through us that God is saying to the world, the good news of Jesus is true. It is through us and our lives and our fellowship and in our worship as we scatter and as we gather that God is saying the good news of Jesus is true. Friends, after Jesus died and was raised to new life, he went into heaven and he's waiting to return, but he has sent us the Spirit that fills us and enables us that we might be his witnesses. That is the mission that he has given to us. That is what he is doing now in his church. He is enabling us to be his witnesses, to tell the world that the gospel is true. Because the Spirit now lives within us, we are enabled to live the transformed lives that God's people have always been called to. We've been set free from our bondage to sin. We've been given new life. We've been born again. Super Bowls tonight, when I was a kid during the Super Bowl, uh, there was a, a commercial, maybe you remember it, about the Energizer Bunny. The Energizer Bunny commercials where there was this little bunny that was trying to do its thing, and then it would keel over and, and lose power. And then if you filled it with an Energizer battery, well, it could just keep going on and on and on forever. Israel was called to be a light to the nations, but they didn't have the power to do it in themselves. But we've been given Energizer batteries. We've been given the very Spirit of God that enables us supernaturally to live the way that God has called us to live. But not only are we enabled to live that transformed life, we're also now, as God's church, united to Jesus from across a variety of backgrounds. That we are to exist as a diverse community showing the world that there is hope for reconciliation, that, that sin not only affected our relationship with God, but it affected our relationship with one another. And the church is able to witness to the world that we can come together despite our backgrounds, despite our differences, despite legitimate changes and, and differences in our lives that the Spirit unites us together. This is our calling, to show the world that the good news of Jesus is true. I love this quote from Tim Chester in a book he wrote called Everyday Church. He says, the Christian community demonstrates the, the effectiveness of the gospel. We are the living proof that the gospel is not an empty word, but a powerful word that takes men and women who are lovers of self and transforms them by grace through the Spirit into people who love God and others. We are a living proof that the death of Jesus was not just same, some vain expression of God's love, 
but an effective death that achieved the salvation of a people who now love one another sincerely from a pure heart. We see this in the book of Acts. In the second chapter of Acts, we see this picture of the people of God gathered together under the teaching of the apostles, worshiping together, celebrating together, praying together, living as a community together. And we read that the Lord was adding to their number day by day. They were attracting the nations to themselves as the church. They were living out the unfolding of God's story. Leslie Newbegin, a, a, a church pastor and missiologist, says that the business of the church is to tell and to embody the story. The business of the church, our mission, is to tell the story and to embody the story. That we are to tell one another the redemption and restoration of the world through Christ, and we are to embody it ourselves. Tim Chester says this again, that at the heart of this vision is not a new way of doing events in the church, but it is the creation of a word-centered gospel community in which people are sharing life with one another and with unbelievers, seeking to bless their neighborhoods, gospeling one another, and sharing the good news with unbelievers. The context for this gospel-centered community and mission is not events, but ordinary, everyday life. We ought to be people in the church who are shaped by the word, shaped by the story, shaped by God's mission. That is what God is doing in the church. He is shaping us around his story. I think we often go to the Bible and we, we try to make the Bible relevant to our lives but what we're called to do is actually to conform our lives to the story of the Bible. Like that is the story. And the mission of the church is to be conformed to it. We have to ask ourselves, does our life fit within that story? Are we living lives that reflect that story? Are we telling ourselves and one another that story? Only when we do that will we join in this unfolding story before us. Finally, what does that mean for us as Story Church? Getting real practical here. What does it mean? It, it means this. Think of it like this. What if we um, imagine for a moment we found um, a long-lost, forgotten Shakespearean play? We uncovered it for the first time. And we had in that collection Acts 1, 2, 3, and the final page. But Act 4 was missing. But we wanted to put the play on, and so we gave it to a wonderful Shakespearean company in London who practiced and practiced Shakespearean art. And they could speak like Shakespeare's plays. They knew his rhythms. They knew his themes. And they studied the play. They studied Acts 1, 2, and 3. They figured out where the story was going. They knew all the characters and what role they played. And they knew how the play ended. They had the last page. And then they put on the show. And for all of Act 4, they had to make it up. 
but within the confines of where the story was going, within the confines of their roles in the story. Friends, that is what we are called to do. We have Acts 1, 2, 3, and the final page of the story. We know what God has been doing in this world, that he's bringing redemption and restoration. We know that at the last sound of the trumpet, Christ will return and make everything new again. We need to take up our role in the unfolding story. We need to take up our role, our part, our script as we join the unfolding story of redemption and restoration that God has called us to. And I think this means shifting our focus from putting on attractions and events and creating instead attractional communities I said that's what they were doing in in Acts, but honestly, this is what God's people have been doing from the beginning. From the time that God called Abraham until today, God's chosen people have been called to live a certain way before God and before the world that would draw men and women to faith. This is what Abraham was called to do. This is what Israel was called to do. This is what the church was called to do. Friends, that is what Story Church must return to to creating attractional communities where we draw men and women to God, communities that offer the world an answer to their problems, the same problems that have existed since Adam and Eve, personal enmity against God and fractured relationships with one another. Story Church, I mean, we're three years old now. Comparatively, though, we're new. but We're not doing anything new. We are standing on the shoulders of giants that have come before us. They have handed us the baton, and we have our own race to run. And one day, if we are faithful to what we have been entrusted with, we will hand that baton off to others who will continue long after us. We are a new church, relatively speaking, but we're not doing anything new. This is God's story that he's been unfolding for generations and generations. And so this week, as you look at this packet, week one, I am asking you to consider what does it look like for you to be part of this church? What does it mean for you in 2023 to take a step into the life of this church, to be part of this body, to be part of this community, this community that communicates to the world around us that the gospel is true. I am asking you to consider what is your role in the life of the church? How am I helping build up this particular body so that when everyone is doing their part, the whole church grows up in love? Guys, it is through the church that God is making known the story of redemption and restoration. It is through this church, his church, that he is gathering the nations to himself. It is through his church that he is pouring out his spirit, setting free captives to sin. He is transforming lives. God doesn't have a mission for the church. God has a church for his mission. And Story Church is part of the church. So if you're part of Story Church, you are part of that mission too. This means that everything that we do, whether you're clicking the button, running the slides, 
whether you're greeting people on Sunday mornings with a warm smile, whether you're coming to story group and offering up your lives to one another, when you're praying for someone in the church who you know is sick, when you're making a meal for someone in the family who's in need, when you're volunteering to care for our kids downstairs, when you're cleaning up after the service, when you wake up on Sundays and feel like, I'm tired, but maybe I'm going to go to church because being part of the church is important. Everything that we do in the life of the church serves God's mission. I hope that you begin to see that. So that this week, when you're asked the question, what is my one step in the life of the church, that you'll know, why are we doing this? We're doing this because one day, Christ will return, and he will bring his bride to himself, and they will live with God forever, and there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, that God will be with his people again. That is why we're doing this. Because God's not done working through us, and I'm excited for what lies ahead. Let's pray.